0: you are listening to a special edition i fanboy podcast on john carter Specialist I iFanboy podcast on John Carter. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Paul Montgomery. For Helium. And Ali Coluccio. Bonjour. And we are from iFanboy.com. Normally we talk to you about the week's uh, new comics, but we like to talk about the big uh, summer, summer or I, I got in trouble for calling this a summer movie. It feels like a summer movie, but it's actually not a summer movie. The big it's movies it's that balmy, come out. Though. It's though. It, it is 74 <laughs> degrees where I am, so it, it feels like summer. Uh, we like to talk about the big comic book related movies and John Carter is a character who's been in a lot of comic books for decades. So we figured this was a good one to talk about. Before we get started, there'll be some spoilers if you haven't seen the, the movie. Or it won't be spoiled. We'll, we'll probably talk about stuff that happened. So if you haven't seen it yet, you won't get freaked out by the stuff. The
1: story is a hundred years old. So it comes back,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I feel like the spoilers, statue limitation spoilers is out. Yeah. Um, now that it's in the public domain, so I think that's that's fair. So uh, yeah. before we get started on the movie itself, Paul, why don't you tell? us the audience everyone briefly a little bit about the character of john carter and why he's important
1: yeah i kind of think a lot
0: of people a lot of people don't understand uh the legacy and, and the, what yeah the,
1: the importance of this this character and sort of the, yeah the, the legacy is a good word for it you can you can read sort of ad nauseum about this in my text review i i i, I took a little bit of liberty in in writing the review and i really wanted to talk about how much how cool this character is and and how many things are influenced by it and how big a sort of progenitory is of of other great characters and and even landing on the moon i mean this was a book that was it was written in 1911 came out uh serialized in 1912 the novel that we know you know the first novel is um uh, by Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, Under the Moons of Mars is is, uh, is technically what the serial is called. And then it came out as a novel in 1917 uh, as A Princess of Mars. Notice you don't see Mars anywhere in the title of this movie. It's just called John Carter. <laughs> but anyways, this, this character, 1912, Edgar Rice Burroughs, this came out. This was serialized months before Tarzan, the first appearance of Tarzan in Argosy's All Story, the first America's first pulp magazine. And it's this is a this is a character that he wakes up on Mars and he's jumping around and he's leaping tall buildings (laughs) over 25 years before Siegel and Schuster created Superman. So I don't know necessarily that it's a it's a direct sort of inspiration for Superman, but that was certainly had to have been in sort of the collective consciousness of, of pulp writers and comic writers.
0: So I think y- there was a lot though, of Superman in the character in the movie, and I think you, yeah. you got to believe guys like Siegel and schuster would have read the John Carter books. I, it, John Carter, it's it might be overstating it, but John Carter influenced almost everything that you're reading now in, in comics. Yeah, I
1: mean we wouldn't be doing this another. podcast probably. Like comics might not have you know they they certainly wouldn't be in this form. You know, like they if, we wouldn't have the same. Maybe we wouldn't be talking about superheroes. Maybe we'd be talking about Westerns or something, but, but I think certainly, but I think certainly John Carter is like a bit, even though he's not wearing capes and tights, he's wearing a loincloth. Um, I think superheroes owe a great debt to that character. So actually when I went into the, the theater yesterday, um, the guy who ripped my ticket said, Oh, and Hey, uh, do you know why they released the movie this year? And I said, well, it's uh, it's the hundredth anniversary of the the book, right? He's like, wow, you're like the only the second person who knew that. So <laughs> apparently, this guy was um, was bothering a lot of people coming into the movie. And um, but yeah, so it, like John Carter isn't really in the the consciousness the same way that Tarzan is. I think like a lot of people, even if they haven't read. Tarzan there's like a million Tarzan movies There's the you know, everyone knows Tarzan yeah. everything. So everybody knows Tarzan and you know, beating your chest and stuff and Lord of the Jungle but John Carter is that doctor on ER the <laughs> <laughs> it's Noah Wiley but so anyway so, so this has been I mean decades like different studios have wanted to make a John Carter movie and um, I don't necessarily want to say that Disney won because there's a lot of people you know, talking about how much money is being lost on this project potentially. But they were the first to cross the finish line, really.
0: We'll talk about the marketing, the business at the end because it's yeah. actually a really interesting discussion. But let's talk about the film itself because that's why sure. we're here. I think it's fair to say that between the three of us reading your Twitters and uh, talking to you offline that we all really enjoyed ourselves at John Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Ali, did you know what did you know about going into this movie? But did you know about um, the history? I
2: I basically knew that it was Tim Riggins in a loincloth <laughs> punching Martians, um, which was enough for me. I mm-hmm. I like adventure movies, and this looked kind of cool, and I figured why the heck not? And so I really I came into this knowing very little. I read a couple issues. Marvel just redid. Um, or Marvel, I guess, is doing series based on them. And they did A Princess of Mars with um, Roger, Roger Langridge. Roger right did. Yeah. Um, and the art in it was really cool. It's a uh, Philippe
1: um, and- Andrade? Andrade? Yeah,
2: no. I, I can't remember the so name. So they're, they're I, doing
1: different creative teams on each of the adaptations of the novel. So, like, God of Mars is next, and the, uh, I guess they'll do Warlord of Mars after that. But it was a really great miniseries. I figured you might like that. Um, I
2: read the first two issues and then I feel like the third one or the fourth one never came out. So <laughs> mm.
1: Um all out in all out in a, a nice digest trade now and I definitely recommend people check that out. I think you, I think you'll like reading the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So the story is that in the 1860s John Carter, a Civil War veteran from the South is caught up in some adventure trying to find gold, ends up in a t- cave encounters a strange being who he shoots and kills and ends up holding a medallion that sends him to Mars. He basically zaps him on an intergalactic telegraph machine. Yeah, that's. A,
1: th- <laughs> I thought that was kind of neat. They explained it as telegraphing. It's a little bit different in the original novel. It's just like he, he has an out-of-body experience, and he looks up into out, into the sky, and he sees Mars in the distance because mm-hmm. there was no pollution then, and so he could <laughs> see Mars. And he gets like astral-projected. To Mars, and it's kind—it's of, kind of weird, but they—they they actually add a lot of stuff to this movie to sort of make it make sense in a way. So he just—he ends up on Mars, and you get this really cool sequence where he wakes up and he thinks he's still in Arizona. Because why would you think if you're, you know, a Virginia cavalryman who fell asleep in a cave? Why would you think that, you know, you? woke up on mars that's not a thing that happens but so he just thinks he's in arizona because it looks kind of the same and uh but then he starts bouncing and I, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie
0: yeah the uh so he wakes up on mars he finds he, he the, because of the gravity difference in gravity and because of the difference in anatomy and bone structure thing don't, don't think about it too much but yeah he's, <laughs> yeah he's strong he's he's strong he's he's durable he can jump really far it's like he's it's like crazy. superman you can, yeah he's <laughs> basically enhanced abilities and he runs into some aliens. They take him in. He ends up in the middle of a big giant uh, sort of civil war on the planet Mars, which is called Barsoom, uh, on you know by Martians, and ends up Barbie in the middle Barsoomians. of a, Barsoomians. Barsoomians. <laughs> I don't want to. So I don't want to be uh, <laughs> intergalactically racist. Uh, the Barsoomians, and uh, he ends up in the middle of a big civil war and falls for the princess of Mars. And then there's you know the end. What I really loved about the movie was it really felt kind of a throwback-y yes. into those, those old adventure movies where the beginning was very much felt like Indiana Jones with, it opens with Edgar Rice Burroughs, who was who the writer of the, the character who plays John Carter's, I think he's his nephew or something. He's his nephew. He's nephew. His nephew and uh, John Carter has died he's, he's gone to inherit the fortune and he, you know the, the big his big room with all the, trying to you know all the maps and trying to find the, his way back to Mars which is a plot point later and it felt very Indiana Jonesy in terms of, of that thing and in, and then the the whole time on Mars felt very much just big action in that in that Disney way in the best Disney way and yeah. the director yeah. of the film Andrew Stanton is a veteran of Pixar he's done a, this is his first live action movie he does he's done Pixar films he did, he did Wally and Finding Nemo Finding Nemo. Um, so this was his first live-action film. I thought it was big adventure and fun and excitement. And it, there were things that didn't make sense, that didn't work. But overall, I think it was mitigated by the fact that it just was a big, big old fun movie.
1: I think that I think that's really the thing with this movie is that it's. Um,
0: it's.
1: It, it. I've seen a lot of different reactions to it so far, and like uh, I think the AV Club gave it like a B, and then Entertainment Weekly gave it a, Give D. It a D.
0: Yeah. He reminded me why I don't read Owen Gleiberman's reviews. He's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's there's this big gulf,
1: and I think one of the things is if you buy into sort of the the adventurous spirit, which I think is totally appropriate because this is a this is a pulp adventure. It's a book that was written in 1912, and you know it's a forebear of um, you know, Tarzan and Superman and stuff. I think if you buy into that spirit of adventure, and if you you know if you like sort of the the wink nod kind of. Homage, sort of tone of of like like you said, Indiana Jones, or I I was reminded a bit of the Rocketeer movie, yep, because it's you know it's some of the same kind of thing, and uh, and even the original Star Wars trilogy. I mean, if you go back and watch those
0: movies, there there's some hokey stuff in there, but yeah.
1: we've grown to love
0: it, and it's you know, also they're also funny. Whereas this was also funny. I like the fact that John yeah. Carter was very rarely in control. Yeah, he in the beginning he he can't, he's he's leaping all over the place. He keeps crashing. He's constantly crashing in the movie. He tries to fly the plane. He crashes that. He never really gets a whole hang of it. I mean, it's it it was fun in that sense that they weren't afraid to make John Carter a less than than perfect hero.
1: Yeah, he's I mean, he's the butt of a lot of jokes. He's wearing a loincloth through most of the movie. He's sometimes he's he's not dressed nearly so much as as, you know, the princess, um, even though in the book she's supposed to be naked but they can't do that obviously but but here she he's he's like you know he's a, he's a slave he's a prisoner he's you know a pet to tars tarkas the green martians um and they call him virginia most of the time because <laughs> of a um you know this got lost in translation um so he's like he's kind of um he's not an action hero really i mean there there is action in this movie and he does fight But I love the fact that he's, for a lot of the movie, he's reluctant to be a fighter. He's he's an adventurer. He's a guy who's looking for gold, and um, he's an explorer. Um, The same with uh, Dejah Thoris, the princess. She's uh, a scientist. She's an explorer. She's trying to discover the ninth ray, um, like really get into the mythology of Mars and Barsoom and stuff like that. But these people, even though they can fight and are capable warriors and they do kick some ass in the movie – uh, at the end of the day, they're um, they're lovers. They're not fighters. You know, they're they're adventurous people, wide-eyed people, and I thought that was that was really refreshing.
2: I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Like I know we've said fun a million times, but um, it was.
0: I mean, that's what it, that's. I think, but what that it that's really
2: to. what it was. And I went in, and I think going in with not very many expectations. Like I wasn't going in and expecting it to be terrible, but I wasn't. Like I I went in as blank slate as I possibly could have.
1: The, the blank slate of, of Tim Riggins'
0: abs. <laughs>
2: yes. Uh, <laughs> in
0: fairness, it dazzle. They dazzle. I, I mean, to be, you know, to be fair,
2: it's it's Tim Riggins. I mean, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so I I think just going in with that that blank slate helped, but I I mean I I also thought it was very Indiana Jones esque. It had that whole spirit of adventure where the adventure was more of the focus than the action, I guess. Mm-hmm. I thought the princess was amazing. She was She was a great really a, a great character. character.
0: Lynn was, Collins, she was, yeah, she's really good. She was smart and capable but also kicked ass and she didn't she wasn't going to bow down to to this arranged marriage to to Jimmy McNulty and she wasn't going to <laughs> um you know, she wasn't going to she wasn't going to just go along with it. She was going to kick ass and take names and she she was she well she, she was, does like, though yeah.
2: yeah and she does <laughs> no, and
0: but, i, but, I mean, that she, she, I
1: mean she, she i mean she does she does go into the arranged marriage thing and i think like the i think there's there's something that sort of get, gets lost in the translation of the film I, I don't know what really happened but i get the sense that the the screenwriter's wanted it to be like she's making this noble sacrifice and she just absolutely has to do this to save her planet and save her her group of Red Martians. But mm-hmm. there is sort of like the way the film works. She kind of goes from being this great warrior to being a damsel in distress who needs to be saved, which is a little bit disappointing. But then it sort of redeems itself and she becomes a warrior again. And
0: I did see that as her making a sacrifice, though, because she tried to get away. She tried to fight. It didn't work. And that was a last resort was to was to submit.
2: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't she didn't want
0: to, but I don't she had think a it,
2: choice. I, yeah. And I, I don't think she ever really was a like she kind of resigned herself to the fate that she thought she had. And I don't think she knew about the other. So the main driver of the, the film is that there's this group called the is it the fern or the thern? Something <laughs> the, like that. <laughs> the, um... The um, Therns, yeah. With well, I name. think
0: I think that's where you start running into problems with the movie. The, the, yeah. the mythology is very complicated, and and you yeah. kind of have to kind of go with it, even if you don't quite understand everything about you it. You kind of need like a glossary
1: because like mm-hmm. there, there's Tharks yes.
2: and Therns
1: I, and <laughs> Helium. I have no idea
2: what the Puppy was called, but I call him awesome. Mr. Puppy.
1: So <laughs> a and he looks sort of like he looks like the dog from Turner and Hooch if you'd like grab his face and like like stretch it out a little bit like it's he's like, like
2: a, it's like a bulldog and a pug had a baby with yeah
1: him. like he's, he's just he's got this big face and he's got six legs and i sort i love the effect it's really ridiculous but he's got he does like the roadrunner run where he's standing <laughs> yes. still and then all of a sudden zoop, and you can't see him anymore he's just a streak of you know dust in the desert and um but yeah it's, i mean it's big loyal dog you know licks your face and um but goes, in, but
0: goes into battle with you when, you, a, when he yeah. when he goes into battle and, and, and goes flying and takes that guy out. It was awesome.
1: I I love that that particular sequence so much. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie because for the longest time, like. John Carter keeps saying, I'm, I don't want to fight for you. Like he, um, Tars Tarkas names him like his champion, he's his right arms and he's going to be his, his champion warrior. And they're going to like take over this planet. And he says, no, I'm not going to fight for you. I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fighter anymore. My, you know, my war has ended. And then you get to this point where he has to fight. He finds something that he really cares about and he wants to defend, you know, the princess and, and all these people that he's grown to love on this, this planet. And it's um it, it's in parallel this montage of him fighting with the more aggressive Martians, and uh, it's it's parallel to this re- revelation that his wife has died. His wife and daughter, I guess, died. Uh, um, when they uh, um, soldiers burned down his house, and uh, and you see him like digging the grave and stuff and. It's So it's not like a triumphant battle scene. It's like just a really sad kind of – It's tragic. The, yeah. the,
0: the more we learn about what happened to his wife and daughter, the more incapable he gets on the battlefield. And he just go, he, so he goes into like berserker Wolverine mode and just, you know, destroys everyone on the battlefield because he's driven by this rage from – coming back from the war finding his wife and daughter dead. Yeah, and so like
1: um, how many movies these days when you have like a big action scene where where there's like one dude and his dog taking down a whole army, like you would see that as like something joyous and like this big victory, but here it's like he's sort of resigned to he has to do this to save people. So, it's kind of an uh, an interesting kind of take on action in a movie.
2: And I like that you see what's going on in his head and what's motivating him as he's kicking a bunch of ass (laughs) Um, because normally it's just like, Oh cool. Look at that awesome action sequence. And there's no substance underneath it. And I like that they were trying to, to kind of prop up any of the action sequences with substance.
1: What did you guys think of, uh, of Taylor kitsch and his performance in general?
0: I think, I don't know. It's tough because I think he's not necessarily a leading man. A lot of the role, he's silent, which is good for him because <laughs> he has a weird voice. He like whenever he voice. was doing a
2: narration yeah. or a voiceover, it felt
0: odd. When he did the rallying of the troop speeches, it was kind of like it didn't feel—you didn't feel like he had the right presence for it. Well, there, um, but I, I thought overall, he thought I thought overall he did fine. But... There's a, there's
1: a mix though because he's not. I mean, the, the character isn't really like the typical leading man kind of character. It's. He, I mean, he's a, he's a reluctant leader. He he doesn't want to be a leader. Um, the the voice thing, I figured there was there's a point in the movie early on when he's on, when he's he's on Mars at this point where I figured out he was going between um, a Clint Eastwood voice. Where he's doing this growly thing, and then when he's doing the like the, the rallying the troops, I think he's doing a John Wayne kind of voice. Like, he's 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 got this weird twang to his voice. Yeah,
2: and, it felt like he was trying. To, it was almost like I would have thought he was a British actor trying to do an American accent and have it accent and not have it work Because he's really putting and something on there. The
0: yeah, yeah. Was, He's a Canadian actor trying to do it. A... <laughs> American Southern accent, but I kind of I liked how over the top he was. I kind Um, of no, I thought overall he was fine. I just I don't know that he's necessarily like the leading man type. Sure, I thought it
2: was I thought it was brilliant because I thought for this for the character I thought it it really worked. Yeah, when he wasn't like again like the narration parts were when they were trying to make him something that he really wasn't. I don't think it worked, but I think in in the whole trying to figure things out on Mars, he was great. There's a lot of well placed dry humor in there. And I thought his line delivery and stuff like that was perfect. Maybe it is. It's more of like the leading man, big presence when he needs to be a bigger presence. It doesn't always work. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: for the most part, he's just this. I feel like it's like every Western is the guy who does not want to get in the middle of the mess is always in the middle of the mess. And I thought he did that really well.
1: In in his in his defense too, he's also surrounded by a bunch of green aliens that weren't actually there when he was filming. So a lot of those rallying the troop scenes, he's by himself and sure. in a you know in front of a green screen. I kind of like him in the end when he's uh, you know sort of in his in his gentleman attire after he's been sent back to Earth, and he's he's talking to his butlers. The idea of Tim Riggins with you know with manservants <laughs> is uh, yeah it's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, that that whole the the bookending thing with Edgar Rice Burroughs it's so sort of wacky and it's it's part it's like some of the most convoluted stuff in the movie especially the end like where ten years he's trying to find a medallion to get himself back to Mars and he doesn't he pretends to find it and he's being pursued by the by the, uh, the the therns uh who are disguised as humans and it, it's this whole like weird machination with a mausoleum that can only be opened from the inside and uses edgar rice burrows as bait to bring them there and then he's behind them and shoots them and
0: well i have to say when he when he shoots the the, the thern, thern uh that was the first time in the theater erupted in applause really oh. Like,
2: see the first it, time our theater interrupted or broke out in applause when uh the whatchamacallit we'll sequence. The like Coliseum sequence where mm, they have them in the thing, And yeah. they have to, to fight the giant white apes.
0: The white apes, yeah.
2: And then they win and then Tim or John Carter.
0: <laughs> it's okay to call him Tim Riggins. We all know he's Tim, Tim Riggins. Riggins. We all know. Um for I, everyone who doesn't understand this Tim Riggins is a character he played in Friday Night Lights, because we've made that joke before people don't know. <laughs> we haven't read comments about it. What what's a Riggins? <laughs> yeah, it's Friday Night Lights, which go watch um,
1: now.
2: But it was funny because I do remember at the end of the movie thinking, I'm like, that was totally John Carter, that wasn't Tim Riggins. But uh, but when John Carter challenges the warlord of the Green Martians, that is
1: Tell Hadges, played by Thomas. Hayden Thomas Hayden Church, Church. Which, <laughs> which kind of took weird. me out of it because I'm like, yeah, you're Lol from Wings and <laughs>
2: you're like,
1: Ned from Ned <laughs> <and laughs> Stacy, and you are not. You know, it's one voice that just kind of didn't work for me. Like I was I was fine with. Um, Willem Dafoe as Tars Tarkas. He has a great voice, even though I, I totally yeah. recognize it. I think he, he was great in that role. Um, but Thomas Hayden Church, like when he started talking more, when when he was talking in Barsoomian, you yeah. sort of couldn't tell. But yeah. when he was speaking in English, it was like, that is Lowell from Wings. You, are, <laughs> yeah, you belong to Sandpiper Air.
2: So. But the scene when he challenges Thomas Hayden Church and then decapitates him. Uh, Instantly. Yeah, it was amazing. He does the giant jump thingy with two swords,
1: and there's some there's some interesting stuff. That, that it's it's a it's a cool victorious moment. There's there's an interesting thing that happens with the action sequences in this movie, where not including the um the the, the battle scene that we talked about, but other things where like it, they escalate really quickly, and like I don't want to say they're rushed, but it feels like they're like they didn't get enough coverage or something like, and they just things move very quickly in the action sequences, like they. They it gets really big really fast and I feel like there you know part of a reel was missing or something I, that might have just been my experience.
0: I did like the the way they were shot and I did like the technology and all I love the ships that flew on sunlight. Yeah, um, I, I love that they were that these ships were basically designed and, and operated like like boats. They had big wheels to turn and they had gunships and I liked the whole design of the world. Mm-hmm. It was surprisingly gruesome for a big Disney movie when. Uh, when the big, big, the second big ape falls on John Carter and he and he escapes by cutting through him and emerging from the guy, the ape's back covered in the ape's blood. Yeah, um, they sort of get away with it by it blue, being blue, which blood. is why I think it um, works. Yeah. I just I was just surprised they had that, that they were able to do yeah. that in a, in a big Disney movie. No, definitely, like that. definitely. But I thought overall the world was interesting, the characters were interesting. I thought the actors were good. You had a lot of HBO actors on there. Like basically the cast of Rome was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, Caesar. So yeah. when Julius Caesar walked in with Mark Antony, I, I had to stifle a chuckle because it was weird to see them together. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Cranston. And then, oh, in this oh my gosh,
2: movie. that is who the other guy was.
0: Yeah. Brian um, <laughs> <laughs> Cranston's a me, small role as. Yeah, it was it was a really well cast movie. I thought I just thought it was it was just really fun I adventure. Mean, this is the kind of thing you want, you know, in your not summer movie to, to is to go and have a good old time in the theater. The, yeah, I
2: think the other thing that really helped it was that the CGI was on a level that I don't think we've really seen since Lord of the Rings. Like it's that perfect seamless. Aside from like one or two scenes, I I didn't it didn't pop out at me.
0: Yeah, you, I you, wonder if that was the uh, Pixar was list of having directed Pixar movies because I thought the acting from the faces of the aliens was really strong. Yeah, like when you when it's you, lot you of see Tars Tarkas
1: and he's like excited that he's discovered John Carter and like he's not just like you know you know snarling at him. He's got like these big wide eyes and so that there's a lot of range for those characters. Well, uh, one of the interesting things about I remember when um the second uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie came out and they had um. Bill Nye's character, the Davy Jones character, you know, with the tentacle stuff face. um, They said that that was really hard because he was in broad daylight a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do like a convincing animated character in a live action movie where there's a lot of sun and shadows and stuff. This movie is like all in a desert at like midday. So that must've been really, really difficult. I remember there, there's a scene where you're like looking at the, the green Martians, the Tharks from above, and there's a lot of like long shadows on the ground. And I just was thinking, and that must have been so complicated to get that right. But after a while, you don't think about it at all, and you don't think about the CG, where I think you do in a lot of these movies. But, but here, so it was, I agree, it was really impressive.
0: Um, the only, I mean, the only thing for me that that I thought was tough was, uh, you know, the the minor thing I had with with again Tim Riggins' performance, and I thought you know, the mythology being really complex and who the Thunes are and why they were doing what they were doing and. And the blue Martians and the red Martians, and but other than that, it was it was minor. It wasn't. It, you just kind of went with it. You, you got the basic gist yeah. of what was going on, and it was a civil war. And the, the only part that was really confusing was who these mystical creatures were and why they were doing what they were doing. But other than that, I thought you didn't really you didn't really have much you needed to know and to enjoy the movie. And I, I thought it was a really sort of strong three and a half four star you know good time at the box office.
1: A uh, great score too, Michael mm-hmm. Guacchino. and I think that adds to the you know, the big epic feel of it, it's, I mean, it sounds at times like an Indiana Jones score or like a Star Wars score. So that, I think that lends to the, the throwback appeal of it. I'm trying to think if there are any other notes. I mean, do you want, I mean, do you want to talk about how poorly this was marketed? And
0: Yeah, let's talk about the business side for a minute because it is interesting in that this is shaping up to be one of the biggest financial disasters that we've seen in a long time. There's a rumored $250 million budget just for the film. You're talking about hundreds, right. maybe $100 million in advertising, which, Here's my here's my example. It's it, I live in Los Angeles. There's been billboards for it all over the place. The billboards don't tell you anything about the movie. We'll get to the title in a second. Yeah. The billboards have been awful. They they show the giant the giant apes and mm-hmm. a little tiny Taylor Kitsch in the foreground. You can't see who he is. You don't know anything about the movie based on that. I went with my girlfriend. She told me later she was very reluctant to go see the movie. She wasn't really thrilled about it, but she went. And then when we got out of the movie, I asked her what she thought. She said whoever's responsible for marketing that movie should be fired and never work in Hollywood again because it it the what we saw on the screen wasn't represented in any of the trailers any of the the posters it was completely botched from, from start to finish unbelievably and it's it's just really surprising cause, i mean it's it's disney like what,
1: like if it's a disney yeah. it should be everywhere and like i think you should i think see all
0: the creatures and stuff
2: i feel like they either tried too hard or didn't try at all I just feel like but,
0: they didn't know what they had. They didn't understand or, what they were – Or saying.
2: Yeah, or they, they yeah, had they a marketing they had. team that
0: didn't know what they were marketing. The title originally of the movie as it was shot was John Carter of Mars, which gives you a sense of what the movie is. The, I, either in the middle of the shooting or the middle of the post-production, I don't remember, I read the, the interview with the, with the director, they they informed me they were just changing it to John Carter, which tells you nothing. Just a a man's name. It doesn't tell you anything about the story. Like
1: you, you see, I mean, without a poster or anything, you see the name John Carter. Like it's a sports movie.
0: It's uh, yeah. It's a lawyer. What I mean, what is this?
2: It could you be know, yeah. It could be anything.
0: The posters are awful. The first couple of trailers didn't do anything. That famously fan cut trailer actually did a good job of showing you the scope of the movie. Mm-hmm. Starting off on Earth. I mean, the idea that no one from the from the official trailers would know that this is an Earth man on Mars. It, 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 there's nothing to tie you in or ground you to the movie in the in the advertising it was just a, a bundle uh of botched uh work from start to finish and and uh just really di- disappointing because i think this is a really fun movie that people are people ask for really fun big I mean, this is this is the kind of movie you want to see in a big screen with with big sound and it's what people want but it is totally botched from do
1: we start do we know how well uh episode 1 did when it came back in 3D like did that perform well or
0: I can look it up while we talk. Did you, did anyone, did, did you guys see it in 3D? Or I only saw it in 2D.
1: This I just saw it in 2D. I didn't want to
0: see. Yeah, it. Yeah, I just
2: saw this one and uh, yeah, 2D. And I can't do IMAX because IMAX makes me sick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I believe uh, Star Wars. The re release did it did in the teens. It did it did surprisingly well. Um, I just
1: it, it's just, I think it's just sad that like you know that it's a movie that people have grown to you know not like you know more and more over the years. And I think you get a lot of the the best stuff that's you know in episode one and you know there's stuff in here that inspired you know episode one and and star wars in general so i think it's sort of sad that this the property doesn't i mean a hundred years is a long time and it's a lot of time to fall out of the public consciousness so i feel like that's sort of understandable but still i think people just don't know
0: what's out there right they did they didn't know they did no good job of explaining the character and the the importance that the fan trailer at least said, you know, from the hundred-year-old story that that inspired Star Wars and Superman and all these things, and that like, gave you context to who the character was, and the, the, just the marketing did nothing to tell you what you were in for when you if you went into to see this movie. I feel like mm-hmm.
2: they just tried to make it as broad as possible to get as wide an audience in there. Um,
0: they're they're terrified of women not wanting to go see sci-fi, which is why they they, which they is took why them the yeah, just call it.
2: I was going to say, and that that's almost what it feels like, and a lot of the posters, the. Most recent wave of billboards and posters that I've seen in New York have all been – they're like a very red background and like a close-up yep. on Taylor Kitchen, in a line cloth. And it just says John Carter in like bright yellow. Uh, well, what's, what's interesting is but if, if you're
0: terrified of women not going to see a sci-fi movie and you're banking on the appeal of, of the, the lead actor, most of the posters and billboards don't – you can't even recognize who it is or, what's, or who's in the movie. Mm. So who then, – then, then it becomes – right, you, you took Of Mars off the poster or off the title to – you know, to, to sort of you know downplay the sci-fi element, then you put out a poster that's a two giant apes, two giant white apes. It's just bizarre. It was just bizarre. It made no sense. Mm-hmm. Star Wars made 23 million on its release weekend, which is almost what John Carter's going to make.
1: It's just it's just kind of frustrating. I just I I think uh, I think there's a potential audience for this. That's the thing. It's not that there's no yeah. audience for this. It's just there's a potential audience that doesn't know that this exists or.
2: Yeah, exactly and I feel like it's is. it's kind of a squandered marketing opportunity mm-hmm. to try and make it as broad as possible when you could probably get a good amount. Like if you target your marketing towards the audience that'll go see it, I think it probably would have been a better Made a
1: difference, I yeah. There's, I don't
2: know. I mean, I say this knowing nothing really about product or movie marketing. <laughs> just well, just.
1: And, it's, and it's also, it's neither here nor there, but um, I can't go out and buy uh, a plush uh, Woola you know, like, like I, the, I don't think there's any toys for this or anything. Like, um, yeah, there's no tie
2: because
1: yeah, I, I, I looked it up online. I was like, I was going to go to Toys R Us. You know, before, like, I was going to see what they have. I was just kind of curious as to how they were, how they handled that. And then I didn't end up doing that. But I went home and I, I hopped on Amazon and like, it's not. They don't even give you the option to click on you know toys for John Carter. Like, there's nothing. <laughs> and so that like, there's nothing out there. Like, you, I mean, you have well, if, so if many bizarrely interesting.
0: The, bizarrely, the books is. I mean, these are these are books. They're based on books, so you figure right. that whoever owns the rights to the books would have at least had a new set ready to go, even before they knew it was going to be a disaster. And I went to buy the books when I got home because that's how much I loved the movie. And I, I was looking to buy like a complete set of all eleven books, and I, I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, you know, you can find them piecemeal here and there, but no, you know, it just seems like. No one is interested in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> in
1: and it's, and it's sad movie because stuff. there's, I mean, there's a lot of of John, you know, and they're not all John Carter based. The Martian novels, like he's, he's he becomes a secondary character as it goes on. But at least the first the first three, or the first anyway, the first two have John Carter in them. It's been a while, but they get he, like Edgar Rice Burroughs gets better and better, and like they get more and more interesting. So it would have been cool for this to be a franchise. But you know, I mean, with. With all the sort of like the the shit that's being shoveled on Disney for this, even in advance of the movie coming out, people just saying this is going to be a disaster, and it's like it didn't even happen yet.
0: There's a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy, and yeah. everybody yeah. in Hollywood talking about how it's going to be a disaster, and then it becomes a disaster because it's it's the stink of failure on it before it even comes out. And it's, which
2: it's is, so not.
0: <laughs> I had more fun in this than you know certainly Ghost Rider or anything I've seen. You know, recently, more than Phantom Menace, more than... Sure. Uh, you know, talking about you're talking about big, big action blockbuster movies. This is the most fun I've had in a while. Yeah.
2: Something that, like, the movie ended, like, we waited for the credits to end. And I'm like, okay, can we watch it again? Like, I, I would go back and pay to see this again. Like, it's going to be one of the first... Like, when it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, it's something that I'm going to snatch back up. And I don't normally yeah. do that with movies, but it was a
0: My lot of fun. My audience laughed when it ended, when the credits rolled. They, you know I mean? They, they, yeah. People that were there, the... The one third of the theater that was full uh, loved it. It's just a matter of people actually going to see it. Your audience was so much cooler than mine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My audience was kind of full. I don't think there were many free seats. I saw it at a 630 um, Mm -hmm. showing in Union Square. So there wasn't there might have been a free seat or two. But I know there were people like, is there an extra seat down there? But everyone seemed to really like it. There was applause twice.
0: I think I think if you're at all interested in this kind of movie or a big actiony adventure, sci- it doesn't have to be sci-fi. It is a sci-fi movie, but you don't have to love sci-fi to love this movie. I mean, I would say go see John Carter. It was tons of fun. Yeah. Um, that, like Ali said, I'll probably buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out and watch it again because it, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was great. I enjoyed. It. I mean, I had I had a good time, which is what you want when you go to the movies. You don't want to be upset, like when you're going to see Ghost Rider. <laughs> So go check out Paul's written review of, of John Card. I'll be on iFanway.com. You can read more in depth discussion about that from someone who knows way more about the source of material than we do. You can to fanway.com to check out writings from all three of us, and you can listen to our weekly podcast, the Pick a Week Podcast, found every Sunday, or new every Sunday, talking about the week's new releases. And until the next movie, which I believe is the Avengers. Now we got a little bit of a break. We'll be back to talk to that, talk about that. I am Connor. I'm Paul.
2: I'm Allie.